0: Matthew 7, verse 1, I'm only going to read five verses, and they're very simple to understand. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce on others, you will be judged yourself. That's the implication there. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you, is the understanding. And then he asked a rhetorical question, kind of poetic, illustrative language. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? And here we go, he uses the H word. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. All right, y'all ready for this? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to weave a little testimony in this. For some, it'll be first time hearing it. Others, you're going to yawn, but that's okay. I forgive you because you've heard this before. When I got saved, I was radically delivered from a really bad, sinful lifestyle. And it was a radical deliverance. I couldn't even explain what was happening inside of me, but everything became almost instantaneously clear. I I understood sin and righteousness. I understood moral behavior and immoral behavior. I understood, as broad as can be, right and wrong. And I can't take credit for it because I had spent the previous decade indulging my passions and my senses and not caring anything about right or wrong good or bad immoral or moral it was just hey what can I get away with and so when I was saved it was instant now that was good for me in that I now had the Holy Spirit training me how to live a life that could potentially glorify the Lord but I'm going to tell you it wasn't awesome for the people that I began to do life with you know why because I thought my job was to tell them everything that they were doing wrong. It felt like my job was to point out every sin. Now, because of my background, my, my tribe at that time, like the weeks and first two months after I got saved, before they finally just told me to hit the road, I was still hanging around with all my, my drunk friends and guys that I abused drugs with, and that was just my tribe. I didn't have any other friends. And so I was newly delivered, but they were still my my friends, and I thought, well, if this happened for me, give me a day or two with these guys, and they're going to get radically converted too. So I'd walk into the places where they were, and I'd be like, are you getting drunk again? Are you getting drunk? Do you know what the scriptures say? I've been sober for like a week. Do you know what the scriptures say about getting drunk? And they might be doing some drugs over here, and I'd be all over them about the drugs, and all of a sudden, I I became really skillful very quickly with a gavel. Even to the extent of taking my Bible into the local watering hole where I'd been drinking for the past five years on a Sunday night, literally taking my Bible into the bar with my cheap polyester suit and a tie that I had just learned how to tie, and putting my Bible on the bar and preaching to my fellow drinking buddies until they literally wanted to drag me out of the bar. And I thought I was serving God, but let me tell you what I was doing. I was operating in a zeal without knowledge, in a passion without wisdom. And there was something about being a guy who had the insight that kind of motivated me to share my thoughts with them. And you will be shocked to know nobody got saved. Nobody got edified. Nobody got blessed. I probably further cemented in those first two months, cemented in their minds, Christians are a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. Jeff, you were sitting at that bar the other day, and now you're in here with your Bible. So you live and you learn, and God has forgiven me for that. And fortunately, I will say this, a little later on down the road, some of those guys did get saved, and that was cool. But at the time, I I just found this new tool that I loved, and it was my judge's gavel. And I would love to tell you that it only took a couple of months for that to disappear. No, it took a few years. Because somebody made the mistake of giving me a pulpit When I was called to preach four months after I was saved, my pastor thought, well, let's get this young preacher boy up in the pulpit and let's turn him loose. Woe unto the people of Meadow Baptist in 1995. God help them. It was terrible. I made such unilateral dogmatic statements about issues that frankly were in Christian liberty, but I was thundering down. I remember making this statement from the pulpit, and then I'll get into the text because it's much more edifying than my testimony, but... I remember making the statement loud and with probably an angry face saying, you can't have the blessing of God on your life if you listen to non-Christian music. Walked away and said, and literally, that was, that was my message. I threw in a few things about cigarettes and having a beer on the weekends and just, just to offend anybody that I could, but that, that was my message. That was all I knew. And so basically, I was picking on the people who were doing the exact same things I was doing before Jesus, by grace, opened my eyes to you know the profligate lifestyle I had. And so um, there's a longer story about how God delivered me from that, but that's for a different time tonight. I just want to see what Jesus says to all of us, whether you ever operated in that kind of blind arrogance that I just described, or, or maybe it's something you never say but you silently judge people in your heart because that's a respectable sin because nobody can see it, right? Oh, wait a minute. There is one who can see it. And the silent judgmentalism in our heart in the courtroom of heaven, we might as well have a megaphone blasting what we think. And so Jesus is going to help us here tonight. I think some of us can potentially turn in our gavel and put it down tonight. So, first of all, he's going to deliver in verse 1 a prohibition. Jesus is going to give a prohibition. To prohibit something means to cause it to stop. And he gives us a clear command to obey. It's very easy. In the ESV, it's two words. Judge not. We would say it in modern English. Stop judging. Stop Judging. Now, we need to know what that means because the whole text centers around this command for us to stop judging. And the implication is stop judging other people. So what does it mean to judge somebody? Uh, Let me give you my definition. To judge someone is to engage in a hypercritical, condemning, loveless attitude about them which draws conclusions about their motives and character based on what is seen externally in their lives. Now, that was long, and if you want the notes, they're on mynewbridge.church, and you can get them there off the front page, but I'm going to read it again. To judge somebody in this sense is to engage in a hypercritical, condemning, loveless attitude about them, which draws conclusions about their motives and their character, their internal components, based on what is seen externally in their lives. So it is us stepping to the plate and saying, I'm seeing what I'm seeing on the outside, therefore I'm going to render a verdict about who they are on the inside. And Jesus says that's an illegal kingdom move. Now, what's interesting is Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2.15, and he says this, the spiritual ones judge all things. So automatically I'm like, now wait a minute. Jesus says don't judge. Paul says spiritual people are always judging. So what do we do with those two opposing statements? Well, it's found in the two Greek words, different words that are used for judge. When Jesus is using it, he's using a different word than what Paul is using. When Jesus is using it, it is this, to deliver a final verdict, to pronounce a sentence, to condemn. Jesus is saying, you have not been deputized to draw final verdicts about a person's nature and what goes on inside of a person. You are not here to pronounce a sentence on them, and I've never called you to condemn anybody. Jesus says, don't judge, or in essence, stop judging people. When Paul uses the word, when he says, spiritual people judge all things, it's, it's a Greek word that means to examine or to hear a case. They're both like courtroom words. So Paul is saying this, Christians always have our radar up, but we're listening, we're examining, we're coming to the place where we're trying to take in as much information as we can in the context here about what's going on with a person, yet we leave off that last step. We do not deliver the sentence. So in other words, I can look, let's just take a, a, a situation. Here's a hypothetical. If in the church parking lot tonight, we see somebody that we do church life with. And as we're approaching, we hear yelling, we hear screaming, they're on the phone, and lo and behold, we hear some four-letter words and they're cursing. Now, let me tell you what Paul would say. Paul would say, we need to judge what we're hearing in the sense of examine it, discern it, take it in. Jesus would say, but don't draw any final conclusions about what's on the inside of that person. See, when we render a verdict, this this is the worst case scenario of a verdict in that scenario. We say, I can't believe she's using language like that. I can't believe that came out of her mouth. And that display of rage and anger, she needs to get saved. We've just violated Jesus' command. Why? Because we've taken limited data that's on the outside, and we've rendered a verdict about what's going on on the inside. Could it be that she had a weak moment? Could it be that somebody had heinously violated somebody she loved. I'm not saying that you know cursing and using filthy language is acceptable, but could it be that that's not her normal character, but it's an exception to who she normally is, and in a weak moment of the flesh, which I'm sure nobody else ever has in here, in a weak moment of the flesh, she let a stream of the old words come out that she hasn't used in years. I'm, I'm giving you that hypothetical to show you how, how, how hardwired we are to take in limited data and render a final verdict. And it's in every single one of us. And so what are we going to do with this? Well, Jesus is just saying, I want you to stop doing that. I want you to put down your gavel. Stop judging. Now, I'm going to balance the scales here because some of you are thinking, I never knew Jeff was this kind of liberal. What is he saying? Now, listen, when the scriptures judge things, The scriptures have lots of lists. The New Testament have lots of lists, and they say, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin. This is is righteous, this is righteous, this is righteous, this is righteous, this is righteous. And so when the scriptures, the objective word of God, says that sexual immorality is a sin, and then we affirm that truth, we're not being judges. We are affirming what God has already judged. We're not the ones rendering a final verdict on that thing being sin. What we're doing is we are affirming the truth of God's Word. But even doing that can become judgmentalism if it's not done with a restorative spirit. If it is in a destructive spirit, like, you know, I mean, we've seen this. These pseudo-Christians picketing funerals of soldiers and... Just all the garbage that comes from that crazy representation or misrepresentation of jesus they're taking true verses And they're applying them in a way that the heart of god never applies them and in doing so they're taking truth But they're still acting as judges. So it's not only what we say what we think it is how we do it What's our motivation? And so that's why jesus says yeah, you 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 need to stop doing that but watch watch this there's a clear consequence for disobeying this command. What is it? Judge not that you be not judged. Now, Jesus just inserts something that I think most of us as believers rarely think about, and a lot of the times we fail to practice. Let me me tell you what Jesus is teaching here. And he's going to unpack it further in in the next section, so I'll get there in a second. But Jesus is saying, for those who operate... In a critical spirit that results in overt judgmentalism. And it is a spirit. And it is a spirit that you did not get from the Holy Spirit. The, the gift of criti- criti- uh, a critical spirit is not a spiritual gift. Judging people is not merely being discerning. I've heard that for years. I wasn't judging her. I was just being discerning. I was like, Were you being discerning when you told five other people what you were discerning about her? because we don't call that discerning. We call that gossip, and we call that being born of a judgmental spirit. But we have all these little church cloaks that we put, some over, uh, put, put, put over these kind of things. Jesus says this, if you are going to judge others, you need to know something. You're going to get judged. Now, there are two phases that I believe are represented in Scripture about how God enacts a Judgment. Now, I'm not even going to talk about the final judgment of the goats and the sheep where the righteous are separated from the unrighteous and uh, they enter into their assigned destinies for all of eternity, speaking of heaven and hell. I'm not even talking about that. We're not, I'm, I'm taking that off the table. The, the first judgment that I want to give you is what Paul refers to as the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, every single one of us that are born again are going to stand before Jesus. Now, it's not to judge our sins because he's already judged our sins. Those are judged on the cross of Calvary. They're they're, um, uh, taken off of your record, expunged from your record the moment you believe in Jesus. So your sins, there's there's no double jeopardy. You're not on probation. You're pardoned. You're free. There's never going to be an an accusation from Jesus on you about your past sins. But when we stand before him, we are going to be judged concerning what value our lives have. And he's going to judge us. And the Bible says we're going to be rewarded for those things that we did for Jesus. And there's different levels of reward. That doesn't, that doesn't go over well in that everybody gets a trophy gener- generation. Not, not everybody's getting the same rewards and glory. That Jesus literally, Paul typifies him, said some will be precious jewels and gold, others will be straw. And so there's, there's different levels and the ones that are of inferior value. They're going to be burned away. And so ultimately they result in no reward. But for those that live faithfully and live with the right motivation, you're going to be judged. There's some kind of uh, a scrutiny that the Lord is going to place on every single one of us. By the way, not everybody's going to be judged with the same scrutiny. Do you remember what James said? Don't many of you seek to be teachers for ours is the stricter judgment. That people that stand in a position like I'm standing in right now who would presume to speak authoritatively, the truth of God's Word, James' teaching is this. Uh, you need to know that you're going to be judged at a stricter intensity because you had greater revelation or greater insight or at least a greater platform. And so I'm, when I read that, man, I'm like, God, can you please call me to do something else? Because I literally, I, I tremble on that thing. So there's different degrees of how we're going to be evaluated. Maybe that word uh, resonates more with you. You're going to be evaluated, but here's what Jesus is teaching here. He's saying, I'll get to it in a second, your evaluation for your rewards is connected to how you evaluated other people while you were on earth. And I'm going to unpack that here in a second. By the way, the other, I believe, judgment is this. I believe that God is actually judging and evaluating us in real time. So in other words, raise your hand if you're pretty convinced you need a lot of grace from God. Would you raise your hand? Okay, some of you will get with it at some point. But the, the reality is, is I crave grace from God. I believe it is very clear in Scripture that I get a level of grace according to what I give to others. With the merciful, he will show himself Merciful. And so what we're finding is this individualized, hyper-individualized, I've got my relationship with God, nobody else gets to say so, it doesn't matter, it's my own personal private relationship with God. Jesus would shot block that nonsense. Because your relationship with God is impacted with other people. To, in a certain sense, you can't actually be in perfect fellowship with God if you're in constant broken fellowship with others. And so all of a sudden we, uh, we, we start seeing these things And and we slow down because our our little machine gun instinct to judge people, suddenly we just want to put our finger off the trigger because we realize those same bullets are coming back on us. Let me give it to you in in his words. So he's going to designate an equation in verse number 2. This is a little broken into little digestible uh, parcels here, but stick with me. Jesus designates this equation, and here he starts explaining it that we need to gauge the degree to which we judge others. And this is a great moment for everybody just to do a heart inspection. And remember, you don't have to say it for it to qualify as judge, being judgmental. Most judgmental people don't speak it because they see the person as beneath them. You know, that's part of being judgmental. You're like, why would I want to waste words on that, Pfft, that person over there? Jesus says it this way, for with what judgment you pronounce and understood is upon others. With the judgment that you pronounce upon others. So watch this. Jesus doesn't even make it hypothetical. He doesn't say, if by chance you might on occasion judge somebody, he says, yeah, you judge people and the measure by which you judge people. That's amazing to me. He's so, Jesus is so realistic about human nature. Nobody gets a free pass. Some of you were thinking at the beginning of this message, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm not judgmental, but I bet she is. You see the irony in that? It's just crazy, but Jesus doesn't let, off, let us off the hook. He literally says, the judgment that you pronounce, and we do it all the time. We don't do it, do it just in individuals. This can involve prejudice. This can involve racial prejudice. It can involve sexism, uh, ageism, all the isms that kind of float around in the culture. And, you know, sometimes you got to duck them because they're coming at you from every angle. And all the, 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 the streams of influence in our culture that want to pigeonhole people and stereotype people and classify people. And listen, Christian friends, if you're not careful, you will imbibe that junk in you. It's in the atmosphere, and if you're just indiscriminately breathing in whatever is out there, you're forming a judgmental spirit in you. That's, that's That's all classism, racism, and sexism is, and ageism. It's just taking a small sampling, stretching it out, and covering the whole. And so, I mean, listen, look, can I be real with y'all on this? I'm going to be, so I don't really care if you're not comfortable with it. But when that. So, it's. It's. It's, 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 it's so silly. Prejudice of any sort is just. Foolish! It's I'm just gonna use, it's stupid. It's stupid because you're literally saying all of this type of people are the same. All of this type of people are the same. That age group, they're all the same. That social strata, they're all the same. This race of people, they're all white people are all the same. Black folks are all the same. Hispanics, they're all the same. Asians, they're all the same. You know how stupid that is? But do you realize that is in the atmosphere and so many forces are, are, are at work, and if you're not fighting it, and don't just fight it with a token, no, we know that's not wrong. Fight it in your heart so that when somebody does act according to their stereotype, it doesn't reinforce within you that judgmental spirit. So you actually have to press against the flow on that thing. And Jesus is saying, all of you have a little judgmentalism. He, he didn't, but the rest of us do. And sometimes it's not a little. But here's an invitation. Gauge your own heart. That's what we're doing here. Is it in there? If it's in there, the worst thing you can do is excuse it or dilute it down to where it doesn't feel that big of a deal. I'm telling you, it's death. It's death to relationships. It's death to joy. It's death to peace. Because all of the sudden, what happens is you're operating in real time, and you're actually subconsciously looking for things that undergird your prejudice, that undergird what you're judgmental about. And when you see it, you have a little tiny moment, momentary celebration in your heart. See, I knew I was right about that type of person. I knew I was right about that age. I knew I was right about women. I knew I was right about men. And the list can go on and on. So before moving on, let me just ask you, how judgmental do you think you've become? It's not an accusation. I, I, listen, I've been studying this all week. I got so convicted. I even posted about it. Do you know what I got convicted of? I think it was today. Maybe may have been yesterday. It was maybe been today. I got convicted about how judgmental and critical I am about judgmental and critical people. <laughs> I am not kidding. I'm sitting there preparing this sermon. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to smoke. If there's any of them there on Wednesday night, I'm going to smoke. And I am like, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing it. Get this out of me. I'm doing it. Jesus says, the judgment you pronounce upon others, what about it? Well, that's the next part we need to be certain that the same degree of judgment is going to be used by God on you. The judgment you pronounce, with with what judgment you pronounce, you yourself will be judged. This is intense. I need you to get this because this is part of what set me free, began to set me free years and years ago. Like literally, probably 15, ah, probably more like almost 20 years ago, And when I read this, I realized something. I am determining in real time the level of scrutiny that I'm going to be judged with by the Father, by Jesus too. So in real time, if I am hypercritical and judgmental, I am asking the Lord to judge me that way. at the judgment seat of Christ, when I'm going to have a one-shot You get one shot to get your rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, and I am literally setting the degree of intensity by which I will be scrutinized by omnipotent eyes and an omniscient mind. I am going to be scrutinized at that level. Think about this. It's possible to be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ with grace, all of it's grace in one sense that we even get to stand there, but those rewards are earned, but he is going to reward us based on his interpretation, which will be perfect, of our merit. Did we, what did we deserve? And if I'm down here grinding it out as the expert fault finder, the hypercritical Christian. The guy who walks in the room is always seeing what's wrong with who and what and where, and it's just, I feel like it's my job. I got a bright, shiny sheriff's badge. I'm patrolling the streets of Christian town, and I'm boom, boom, boom. I'm blowing away anything that doesn't measure up to my standards. We don't use bullets. We use words. We use thoughts. We use attitudes. We use commentary. Jesus says, The judgment that you pronounce upon others is the same standard that I'm going to measure you with. So here we go. Here's here's just a question. Are you comfortable praying this prayer? Dear God, please judge me with the same intensity that I use to judge others. Can you pray that? You should pray because he's already said that's what he's going to do. He's literally said that's what he's going to do. Jesus says you've got to be certain that this is the case. So guys, let's walk through this. I know I'm going slow. So much for that 8:15 thing that didn't work out, but I'm setting up how God interacts with me. If I need grace, Jesus is saying, here's a secret, give grace. If I need mercy, Jesus is like, hey, I tell you what to do. Give a lot of mercy. If I need compassion, Jesus is saying, why don't you have compassion on them and their weaknesses and in their struggle? But if I'm walking around like I'm the stuff and, and I'm pointing out what's wrong and I'm decrying it or I'm smug in my heart saying, come on, God needs to grow up, God needs to you know, get with it, whatever that smugness sounds like in our hearts. Jesus is just saying, oh man, you just dialed in the intensity level a little bit further in how I'm going to deal with you. So go a little further. If we hold people to our to, to strictly, if we hold people strictly to our measuring stick, God will hold you strictly to his. And that's just a reframing of what he just said. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I don't think I have to hit that anymore. I think we get it, but I do want us to really think about it. And guys, this isn't up-in-the-cloud stuff. This isn't some up-in-the-clouds kind of ethereal doctrine. This is living Wednesday night when you leave here. This this is like right-now stuff. This is every day. And and the awareness of it brings us a great opportunity to enter into a life that is more like Jesus's. Think about this. Everywhere Jesus went, as God... He's God, right? When he's on earth, he's God. Perfect understanding, perfect wisdom, perfect righteousness, perfect morality, perfect obedience, perfect omniscience. Everywhere he went, he saw what was wrong. He would have been aware of everything that was wrong in every person, every moment, every encounter, any situation he's in. He would have been 100% divinely aware of what was wrong. Look how infrequently he went around denouncing and pointing out stuff. Do you know who he did that the most with? The judgmental people. It's just amazing to me that 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 jesus i mean he's looking at a woman that, that just literally got dragged out of an adulterous act and he doesn't act like a lot of church folks would he actually looks at the people that are judging her he says oh is this a judgment party is that what we're doing here okay let me write an invitation in the sand and all of a sudden, we don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote caused the old man to say, yeah, I got a thing I got to get to. And then the young, the young man. And, and what's amazing is he didn't even judge them harshly. He just gave them an opportunity to say, yeah, I got something better to do. One more time. And then he looks at her and he says, woman, where's your accusers? And they were gone. He says, go and sin no more. So he didn't gloss over the sin, but he didn't, he didn't stone her to death nor let anybody. Um, You know, Zacchaeus was a thief and an extortioner. And he said, Zacchaeus, I want to eat at your house today. Um, Peter denied him in his worst moment. And Jesus went and had a private meeting with Peter to say, hey, I want you back. And then had another one with him on the shore. And he said, Peter, I... I want you to feed my lambs. Listen, guys, most of us wouldn't have done that. Most of us would have been, oh, you think you're getting back into ministry? You you think you're going to walk with me after what you did? I know what you're made of, Peter. Jesus always saw what was wrong, and very rarely did he come hard and heavy after it unless it was religious hypocrisy. I would just say let's learn from his example. So going a little bit further, look down in verses 3 and 4. There's only five verses, so we're getting there. Jesus describes a distraction. He's really just saying the same thing nine different ways because we have a hard time really believing it could apply to us. So he has to say it over and over and over again until we finally just humbly say, Ooh, that is me. That's, he's talking to me and he's talking about me. So here's here's one of the reasons why it's just foolish to live a life of judgmentalism. It's because our judgment of others is significantly impaired. Jesus uses an illustration, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? (laughs) So the word speck in the Greek, it indicates literally like a piece of sawdust. And the log, just picture it a two by four or, or a tree trunk so let's 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 just enter into the illustration that J- Jesus gave. You, s- you see a dude with like the trunk of a tree covering his upper face, and he's walking around and he's pointing out, trying to sawdust that's in other people's eyes, as if he doesn't have a tree on his face, and he's literally coming at them with a condemning spirit. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that you should recognize that what is lacking in you is far more intrusive than what you think is lacking in them. What is he telling us here? He's saying, why don't you deal with you? We don't like to. Isn't it amazing how the things we see in others that we can rail on, if that thing happened to blip on our own radar about us, we were like, well, that's not exactly what it is. You see, it's not really that. Mine's a little different. It's this. It's called judicial sentiment. I remember learning that and when I was getting my bachelor's in ministry. I had to take a course on that involved judicial sentiment. It's when we strictly apply the law to somebody else but loosely, as loose as possible, interpret the law on our own lives. That's the log in the eye trying to deal with the speck in somebody else's eye. And, and here's the deal. What Jesus is trying to say is, is not only what I just said, but he's trying to say this. He's like, hey, you actually don't see things accurately. Now, it doesn't mean we're idiots and it doesn't mean that we can't process clear, visible data. Remember, what he's talking about is not analyzing what we see in the sense of processing, okay, I see this, this, and this. It's when you go and you take that limited data and we take the gavel and we pound it and we give a verdict about the person. None of us are qualified in here to judge anybody else's motives. We think we are. How many of you have been hurt and or frustrated When you're trying to do something and somebody looks at you and they're totally getting you wrong, but they're convinced they know what your motives are. Anybody? Am I the only victim in that state? Okay, me and Sandra, great. The rest of you are sleeping. It's, It's one of those things, I hate that. It's like, I cannot believe you just said X, Y, and Z about me. I know my own heart. That's not how I am. But they're like, that's how you are, man. That's how you are. You're like, how is it that you think you see my heart better than I know my heart? They're like, because I got a chrome uh, gavel here, dude. I'm like on 18. I have the chrome gavel. And uh, boom, 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 they strike it on you. That's a person with a log in their own eye judging the speck that's in your eye. And so when we recognize I may not see things accurately, it'll slow down the judgmentalism in us. And by the way, we might want to come to a conclusion, why do we feel the need to always render a verdict? Why do we feel the need to let everybody know our summarization of what's happening? Why do we feel like everybody's hanging on the edge of their seat waiting to hear what we think about it? Why not be quiet? Why not, if we can't be quiet, why not be merciful, compassionate, constructive, helpful, and hopeful when we speak instead of razoring out some kind of indictment that doesn't do anything good but slice people up. And so Jesus is trying to deal with our hearts on that. And so in verse 4, we find out this, that our inspection of others is completely presumptuous. He says, how can you say this? That's, the, that's kind of the air on this thing. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? I mean, it is kind of comical, but Jesus isn't playing around here. He's saying, don't you understand how presumptuous it is when you're refusing to acknowledge what's jacked up in your life as you go and try to deal with some smaller, less significant thing in somebody else's life? By the way, that is the motive behind a lot of judgmentalism is that people don't want to deal with their own junk, so it's easier to deal with other people's stuff. And, and so what Jesus is saying is, he's, he's not saying, you know, check your brains at the door, see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. He's not saying that we can't discern. As a matter of fact, we're commanded in, in Scripture to test the spirits and discern them. We're commanded to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. We're actually commanded to enter in to declarations at various points in our life, but that's not what Jesus is dealing with here. He's saying, before you do that, As you're calling, before you polish your badge for yet another day as the sheriff of Christian Town, why don't you put your own life, your own heart, your own attitude, your own ways under the microscope and spend a decade analyzing yourself. And then, then go help your brother with that speck of dust in his eye. It's a check. Jesus is checking us. He's literally saying, whoa, 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 Grabbing us by the back of a collar, pulling us back, looking at us and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you so all over that out there and so not all over this in here? And and friends, it is a humbling experience. He's doing it, by the way, right now in the room for some of you. Not to some of you, for some of you. He's actually rescuing you from operating tomorrow at a level of scrutiny from him that is going to be more intense than it needs to be. Now, I'm not the one who gave the motivation. Jesus said it. He says, don't judge, stop judging so that you're not going to be judged yourself. Stop going after it at this level because you don't want me to operate with you at that level. That's what he's saying. So he's actually helping us. And if you're wrestling with it, it's because that judgmental thing has thrown its hooks down deeper in you than you realize because you're feeling like, well, man, that's just a part of who I am. That's my gift. It's not your gift. It really isn't. Um, it, it, it may have some things that are legitimate in the kingdom that could attach, but th- those are now like barnacled over with, with the improper use of a discerning spirit. And so we go a little bit further, and there's only one verse left, so let's, let's, let's go there. He, Jesus gives you the prescription. He gives me the prescription. I literally believed this starting about 20 years ago, and, and it does work. I promise you, it works. First of all, he's going to get real forceful with us with his assessment of those who live this kind of life of judgmentalism. He says, You're a hypocrite. (laughs) Well, Lord, I'm offended. I don't care, Jeff. When you act that way, you're a hypocrite. Well, wait a minute, Lord. Is what I'm seeing not valid? Oh, yes, it's valid. And Lord, can I ask, were my inward conclusions that I've learned not to speak, were those valid? Because I know you heard my heart. Oh yeah, your conclusions were right, but let me tell you why you're a hypocrite, Jeff, because you're focused on what's wrong with them while refusing to acknowledge what I'm working on in you. And so it's the hypocrisy is not that we have have bad data, we may or may not have bad data. We may or may not have bad motivation. The hypocrisy is found in that we're really going after the speck in somebody else's eye and we are not acknowledging intentionally the log that's in our own eye. Jesus is saying this. You need to be way more concerned with what's wrong inside of you than what's wrong with anybody else. That's the lesson. And man, do you know, do you know what's required to do that? dying to yourself humility maturity coming to a place where you're like oh so it's not my job to go around exposing declaring denouncing everything that falls short of the glory of God it's not it really isn't I mean I'll I'll give you this too if you obey what, what he's teaching here actually going to be happier and so is your spouse and your children and your co-workers and your fellow Christians why because you turn in your badge and you put down your gavel mixed metaphors there forgive me but they're the same thing you you just you quit walking around looking for the next thing that you can reinforce is wrong out there and instead you're taking that energy and that scrutiny and that gift of discernment, and you're saying, Lord, I'm not like you. I love you, and I know I'm loved by you, but the closer I get to you, the more I become convinced. I'm not like you. I don't love around people's imperfections like you do. I don't, I don't hold my tongue when I see something that is incorrect or out of line. Lord, I don't have compassion on the weak. I just assume they're rebels, not weak strugglers, but, but insolent rebels. Lord, I'm not like you. And Lord, I want to be like you. And so this kind of processing on the inside brings you out of this hypocrisy. So literally, part of what's involved is you have to stop doing it you have to I mean you literally you need a baptism on this thing like a spiritual baptism on this thing that delivers you from feeling obligated cuz some people when they hear this they're like oh no they start twitching they're like uh, 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 because it feels irresponsible it feels indulgent I feel like I'm enabling somebody if I don't say this is wrong now again I want you to hear me very clearly on this We're not talking about being silent on things that Scripture specifically speaks to. We are called to do that, but we're not called to put it on a sign and scream it in anger. That's not Jesus. We're not called to intimidate people into the kingdom or to shame them into repentance or to guilt them so that they'll conform with Christian norms. That's not what we're called to do. When when we get into a situation where somebody's imprisoned by sin, yes, we're to speak to them after we're praying, after we know that our heart is humbled before the Lord, and, and we don't say a word until our motivation is not correcting their behavior, but going after what's going on in their heart. Modify somebody's behavior and you never touch their heart. All you're doing is letting the little Pharisee in you have a moment of time on the stage. And so there are times where I see clearly something wrong. I see it all the time. And I know that I've got Bible on it. Something dangerous about a guy with Bible knowledge. But I know in that moment, I'm not operating right now with the heart of Jesus. This is not the right time for me to speak to this. God, help me to be ready next time because I love this man or I love this woman or I love this young person. And I've got the truth, but I don't have the love. And I really need them both. Speaking the truth in love. And so he calls us a hypocrite just to own it. I mean, sometimes we are. There's a lot of people that won't go to church ever again because somebody somewhere saw hypocrites in the church. They made a T-shirt out of it. And now there's T-shirts. The church is full of hypocrites. Don't, Don't try to defend that when somebody says, I ain't going down to church. Church is full of hypocrites. Don't try to defend that. I don't know that the church is full of hypocrites, but the church has hypocrisy in it. It did in Jesus' day. It's amazing to me how Jesus saw everything that was wrong about the church and he just went and died for her, bled for her, lived for her, preparing a place for her. going to come again and defend her and make her perfect and going to be in eternity with her forever. He's doing that for the church that in its current state is deeply flawed, peppered with hypocrisy probably flagrant in sinful compromise in a lot of areas. And Jesus says, yeah, I, I see what she is right now, but I'm not done with her yet. And when I bring her unto myself, she'll be without wrinkle, without blemish, without spot, and she will reflect my glory for all of eternity. That's why he sticks with us, and that's why we're going to stick with each other until he comes again. So, Wrapping up, his admonition to those who judge is this. Look, this is what he says. He says, you hypocrite, first, he says, prioritize this. First thing, get that log out of your own eye. What is he saying? He's saying, deal with your own heart. He said, deal with your own heart. Do that first, and then third, here's his answer to those who judge. And then, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice he didn't say Christians never talk about what's wrong, never never mention sin, never point out what's wrong. He never says that. But what he does do is he prohibits us from hypocritical judgmentalism that gives ourselves a free pass while condemning others. And he says, this is what's interesting. And I'm going to tell you for most of us, this is not an overnight exit from this kind of potential. I'm not gonna have you raise your hand, but I'm sure there's people in the room that's saying, Jeff, this is probably my, one of my biggest struggles. I, 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 I tend to come off like this either verbally or inwardly. Um, you probably, you can get delivered of, it, delivered of it in a moment of time, but for a lot of us, we've trained our flesh, our mind, and our attitudes to be a certain way. There has to be a process of untraining it. And so what he does is like, yeah, why don't you just take all of that scrutiny that you're so good at and just focus on yourself for a decade? Just, just work on you for a little bit. Well, Lord, what's going to happen to planet Earth? And the Lord's like, I think I got it covered without your help. I, I think I, I got this. But Lord, am I endorsing all that's wrong if I fall silent? And, and here's the thing. He's like, I'm not sentencing you to a silent life as a believer. What I'm saying is get the log out of your own eye, and then you can actually see clearly to help with the other things our own hypocrisy and free pass giving to ourselves actually clouds our vision to where we can't legitimately help people until we deal with our own hearts let me give you these verses I, I really I'm done just I think I think Josh is gonna put these up on the screen Romans 2 1 through 3 yes thank you brother Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. I'm just putting some special sauce on everything else I've said. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on people who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, yet you do them yourselves? Do you suppose that you'll escape the judgment of God? Dun, dun, dun. That's one of those, Romans 14, 4. This is my favorite. Who are you? (laughs) Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I love that. He's like, hey, you know when you're judging her? She's mine. Who are you to judge my servant? I'm able to cause her to stand, and I will uphold her. <laughs> Wham! <laughs> who are you? It's a legitimate question. Who do we think we are? Come on. Y'all don't flake out me on me in the last 60 seconds. I mean, literally, the question's legitimate. Yeah, man, who, do I, who have I been thinking I am this whole time? Judging people's hearts, assuming their motivations, critiquing their ways, rendering verdicts on what's on the inside based on the small sample size I've seen on the outside. Who am I to stereotype and classify and enter into ism after ism after ism with certain people groups or age groups and demographics? Who am I? These people, the Lord at least is their creator, and for some of them, he's their father, and all of them that are, he's father to, he's a master to, and he says he's not done with them yet. He's causing them to stand, and he will uphold them. Why am I trying to bring down what he's determined to uphold? So James caps it off, James 2, verses 10 through 13. James is the stone-cold apostle. I mean, he is hardcore, his whole book. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Liberty, liberty, liberty. The law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And then he gets this, he says, James says this, James is like granite. And here, the little dandelion, or little, little rose pops out of the granite here. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment is not Jesus' agenda right now. Mercy is. Judgment comes when grace, the span of grace, is done. And judgment will come. Final, horrific, back of the Bible, explosive, volcanic, cataclysmic judgment will come to planet Earth. It's not here. You know what the message is right now? Mercy. You know what the Spirit is right now? Mercy. Mercy. You know what the message, the spirit, and the atmosphere of Christianity is supposed to be? Mercy. Mercy, not absent of truth, not indulgent, not enabling, not pretending, but mercy that says, as a redeemed sinner, I know where my weak spots are. I may not be a murderer, but if I'm an adulterer, I've broken the whole law. If we offend in one point, we're guilty of it all so we don't get to give ourselves a free pass because we're struggling in this tiny little area while they're over there violating that horrible area. That's the way we do it. We we minimize our own sin, and we maximize their sin, and what, what James is saying is, if you've broken it in one point, you're guilty of breaking all of it. So he says, as one who needs mercy, start giving it. If you think you need a lot of mercy... Give a lot of mercy. If you crave a waterfall of grace, become a waterfall of grace. And the Lord looks at that and he says, now you're starting to look like me. Let's stand to our feet. I want you to confess this with me, if you can. I'm gonna say it, give you a second to think about it. If you can confess this. Let's just do it together. Lord, on my own, I'm not merciful. But as a child of God, I am not on my own. Holy Spirit, you live inside of me and you're sanctifying me. Sanctify me out of judgmentalism and deeper into grace and mercy. I commit to cooperate as you begin to train me. Thank you for being merciful unto me. In Jesus' name, amen.